Happy Sunday. Sure do love you. Glad to be together. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And I love this time of year when college students start descending upon all people's church. And, you know, it made me think about when I was in college. And that really was the first time where I had this experience where I thought, I am actually living out a moment from this book. I felt like I was in the Bible, but before I go there, I have to juxtapose it to some of my church experiences before college so you understand how different it was. So let me just tell you some of the songs that I grew up singing in church. I don't know if you've sung this one. Give me gas for my Ford, keep me trucking. Seriously, give me gas for my Ford, I pray. Give me gas for my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. Keep me trucking for the break of day. Okay, seriously. Now, now I drive a Ford truck, so sometimes at the end of the month I am like, Lord. Uh, but, okay, here's another one. I don't know where we got this. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-D-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-A-S-T and my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. That's I'm a Christian and I will live eternally. I don't know where we got that. And then we even added like a suffix to the consonant. So we said, I am a Kong, I am a Kong Hong, I am a Kong Hong Rong I Song Tong, I am Nong, and I will have Kong Hong Rong I Song Tong and my Hong Yi Rong Tong and I will Long I Vong Yi Tong Yi Rong Yi Long Long Yong. All right. Stupid human tricks right there. Uh, it wasn't just songs. It was also prayer that didn't quite go from this book. So here's like one of the main types of prayer in our church growing up. You would take prayer requests, and then there was always the most common prayer request, which is someone would raise their hand and say, I've got a unspoken. Okay, what is an unspoken? No one knows. It's unspoken. And so, so, seriously, people would say unspoken, and then the next person would be like, hey, could you pray for, you know, I need a job, or my cat's hurting, or whatever, pray for Aunt Judy, and then another person, unspoken. And we're all thinking, what did you do this week <laughs> that you don't want to tell us? But then, at the end of everyone giving their prayer requests, then someone would say, okay, who's going to pray for Aunt Judy? Who's going to pray for the hurt cat? Who's going to pray for the job? Who's going to take the unspokens? And always some very godly person was like, I'll take the unspokens. I'll pray for them. This is how you prayed for the unspokens. Lord, pray for the unspokens. You know what they are. And if it's your will, answer these unspokens, Lord. And we pray for everyone with the unspokens that you'd help them. Amen. Okay, so there's just some things that we did in church that, that didn't seem like they were right in line with this book. So when I was on this mission trip, my junior year in college, to Juarez, Mexico, and we go onto the street in the marketplace, and someone stands up and actually preaches the gospel. I mean, they're talking about Jesus, that he died for your sins, that he was resurrected, that he's coming again. Do you want Jesus? And people are raising their hands and crying on the streets and giving their lives to Jesus. I was like, oh my goodness, this book is coming to life. And then they said, if you need healing, raise your hand. And we started laying hands on people. And for the first time in my life, I laid hands on a person with this other girl. We're laying hands on a guy who came up hunched back. Some of you have heard this story a million times 
says, but he, he's hunched over. We lay hands on him, and his body starts moving as we're praying, and you hear his shoulders going pop, pop, pop. And at the end, he stands up straight, lifts his hands, and starts shouting, Gloria a Dios, Gloria a Dios, gracias Cristo. He's saying glory to God, and we find out he's been healed after 20 years of suffering. Men and women, I felt like I stepped into this book. I felt like, I'm like Andrew and John and Peter and Bartholomew, and we are like walking in the middle of what Jesus is doing. And I want to tell you, there's nothing more exhilarating. And that is our desire as the leadership team of the church, that we wouldn't just read this book, that we would live it. And so uh, last Saturday night at you guys' house, at Billy and Helenka, um, at their home, it's one of those perfect San Diego evenings, 73 degrees, right, and a high chance of sand. And um, no, we're, we're there, the sun's setting, there's a bunch of us gathered around, and I am just loving it. And it's not just because it was a perfect night, not just because there were street tacos, which I love, not just because there were tons of people, and I'm an extreme extrovert, so I love floating around and talking. It, we gathered around and laid hands on Brandon and Jen Edwards that were sending to Bali, Indonesia to launch all people's Bali. And what I, I heard coming out of my mouth was this. As we laid hands on them, I said, it doesn't get better than this. Because right now we're living out the Bible. Because this is just like Acts 13 where the church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and the Holy Spirit said, set apart these for the work I've called them to do. And the church lays hands on them and sends them out on this mission to advance the kingdom of God among the unreached of the earth. And I'm like, we're living this now. And it was this holy moment for all of us in that circle. And, and that's what I want us to live out is these holy moments where we step in and we're like, we're not just reading the word, we're living the word. So with that context today, let's jump into Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is the text we're going to camp out in. And it starts with this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, or that's also the Grecian Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Okay, can you imagine complaining in the church? This would never happen in this church. But back in the Bible, they had problems. And uh, just kidding. Why? Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, this is the 12 disciples that have followed Jesus. The 12 gathered all the disciples together. So there's more disciples. They gathered them together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, no, no, just kidding, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them, and so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's just give you some context. We're reading in the book of Acts today. Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the fifth book in the New Testament. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. Gospel means good news. Gospels are the story of Jesus. So the New Testament starts when Jesus comes on the scene and we watch how he lived and what he preached and then we see him die for our sins and be buried but then raised from the dead. And then the book of Acts starts with Jesus talking to disciples. He appears in the upper room and says, don't leave because I'm gonna give you the promised Holy Spirit and you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you're gonna receive power to be my witnesses to this place and the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter two, the power of God falls on them in a very dramatic way. And then they start preaching and then 3,000 people start to follow Jesus and it's the birth of the church. And then Acts three and four, we see them boldly preaching, but then there's persecution. So by the time we get to Acts six, there's a big church. And whenever there's lots of people, there's lots of problems. And so we see a problem. And, and what is it? It, it? It's this distribution. But what I want to tell you is this. It says, as we go line by line through this, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Do you know that right now Christianity is actually exploding around the world? See, sometimes in America, we actually think, man, it's not a good day for Christians. And, 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 and there's just less and less. And we're kind of on the losing team. Can I just tell you, you're on the winning team. And not just because I know the end of this book. Did you know that there's 2.19 billion Christians? It's the largest religion in the world by far. That was the census in 2010. There's probably closer to 2.5 billion. There will soon be 3 billion. And 65 million people are being added a year. 65 million 16 million of those are actually coming out of other religions and meeting Jesus. It's amazing the day we live in. Across South America and across Asia, revival is burning. It's, a, it's an incredible time to be a believer. And here in San Diego, I remember... When we first came, our little team of eight, we did a parachute drop. We didn't know anyone. We get to San Diego. I remember talking with a pastor, and he says, I need to warn you, San Diego's a hard place. He goes, actually, it's a pastor's graveyard. He said, thank you, sir, for that encouraging <laughs> invitation into the city. Can I tell you, we found just the opposite. We found just the opposite. We found when we shared the gospel, people were hungry. Within the first six months, we, didn't, we weren't even doing services. Eighty people had given their lives to Jesus. Every time we share the gospel, people respond. Can I just tell you, this is a ripe city. And the disciples are increasing. But when they increase, there's a problem. And it's this. Here, you'll, you'll look at this. Here was the problem they had. It said the Hellenistic Jews, or that would also be the Grecian Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, why were there, why, why was this going on? You see, when the Holy Spirit came, people from all different nations came to know Jesus and they gathered in the church. Can I just tell you that a biblical church is a multi-ethnic church? I thought I'd get a lot bigger amen than that. Can I just tell you that God's heart is for all peoples? 
And so a biblical church is a multi-ethnic church. And so in, well, here's the context for it. Acts chapter 2, let's backtrack four chapters. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, remember, and it descends like fire on the disciples, and they, and they, they go out into the streets, and they start proclaiming the word of God. But here's what happened. Here's who they proclaimed it to. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? So like, like the area we're in, City Heights, there's somewhere between 70 to 100 languages spoken in this, this radius right here, just right where you are. 70 to 100 languages. This is what was happening right then in Jerusalem. And so the guys go out and they, the power of God comes on them and they're speaking in tongues. And one of the manifestations of tongues, not the only, but one is speaking in known languages. And so they're speaking in known languages. And so these people are blown away and they say, wait a second, aren't these all Galileans? Because Galilee was this country region which was really down home and everyone was Hebrew in it. So they're totally confused. Okay? It would be like here in City Heights and all these people coming in and you're like, wait a second, aren't they all from Ramona? Like, how do they know our language, right? Then how is it that each of us here in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabs, they're saying, us Europeans, us Africans, us in, in Turkey, and then out into Asia, we're all hearing our language, this doesn't make sense to us. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our tongues. And so all these people from all these nations come to Jesus and they form the church. But then watch what it says next is it says the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the, the Grecian Jews start complaining about the Hebraic Jews. So what language do you think Grecian people spoke. Oh, you are so smart. Like 10 of you got it. Greek. Uh, more, more are going to get this. They complained against the Hebraic Jews. They spoke. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now what, what background were the, the 12? What background were the 12? Giving you a hand, this hand. Hebrew. There you go. You got it. I don't think these guys were jerks. I think they were good guys. Right? But here was the problem. They spoke Hebrew. And so they grew up with the Hebrew widows, right? I mean, it was, it was their Aunt Judy, right? Or Aunt Halal. And, and so they knew her and they could understand when she said, I don't have food. But the Grecian people, they spoke other languages. They, mostly in the Roman Empire, spoke Greek. And so they weren't connecting. It's not because they didn't love each other. So. Here, here is an easy way to think about it in our church. In our church, right here, are many of our African refugee families. They are the most, some of the most amazing, wonderful people in all people's church. Coming many from Congo, Burundi, and so they speak Swahili, right? I don't speak Swahili. I, I speak a couple words. I say Jambo, Missouri. Then I run out. I can sing the first three words of Jesus Loves the Little Children. Is that kind of it? 
Sweet. Three words. Okay, but if that's all I said over and over, Roger, you'd be like, awesome, Robert. Yeah. Let's, deep relationship we have. <laughs> okay, so, so here's the problem. So many of the needs weren't known because they weren't speaking in the same language, right? Okay, can, can I just tell you, a, a New Testament church is a multi-ethnic church, but can I tell you a multi-ethnic church is hard, okay? I don't know if you've noticed, I am a white guy, okay? I, I'm not a, like a stereotypical white guy because I can dance, but, <laughs> but I'm still, my culture is my culture. Now, I will not prove it. I do not want to put you to shame, um, <laughs> my culture, though, as much as I love other cultures, I study other cultures, I have lots of friends of other cultures, we spend time together, I will still, I will always know my culture best. You will know your culture best. Okay, and so it takes tons of grace. It takes tons of patience. And guys, it's not easy in 2019 because you don't even want to mention ethnicity because the greatest fear is to be called bigot or to be called a racist, right? So then we just try to shy away and then we never even, we don't even cross lines and step across and get to know people because we just don't want to say something. And in the church, so we've got to be people of love. And we got to people that say, if you're at this church, it's because you love all peoples, right? And so we got to step across and we got to forgive each other. And you're going to have to forgive me, right? Because, because we just, we're, we're trying, but we're trying to work it out. We're just, we're faulty humans. And this is what was going on in, in this church is that they were trying to work this out. And they were doing one thing, right? The daily distribution of food. Let me just put that on the back burner for a second and move to the da daily distribution of food. Can I just tell you, the church should feed the hungry. Amen. Church should feed the hungry. Um, here's, we, we have this divide in America right now. We have the ultra evangelical churches right now that are just about preaching the word. It's like, we're just going to preach the word. We're just going to save the soul. We're just going to teach theology. That's what church is all about. Then on the other side, you have the social gospel churches. And they're like, hey, what good is it to, to save the soul if you don't help people in need? And so we're going to clothe those who don't have clothes. We're going to feed those. We're going we're gonna to take care of people's lives. Can I tell you that Jesus has two hands to the gospel? There's the bold proclamation of the word. Jesus talked about heaven and hell and talked about the salvation of the soul, and Jesus got down in the dirt to meet the needs of the most marginalized and broken. And we want to do both. And we want to do both more and more and more. Right? There's, there's two hands. And, and so let me just say this. Let me say this. Uh, my greatest, can you throw me a water from the, right under you. Um, thanks. My, my fear would be as we've outgrown this facility, and it wasn't ours anyway, but, and we have this land on the 8 freeway on the front of, of Del Cerro, is that we would, we would forget, we would, we would lose our heart for the poor. Can I, can I just tell you, no, I, I never want to leave our, our focus on this place. And God's heart is to meet practical needs. 
as well as spiritual needs, as, as well as emotional needs. And so I, I, I'm believing that we would feed, do you know that they're really hungry people? out there, and that we would be able to feed them, and we would be able to clothe people that don't have the clothes they need, and we would be able to, there are, are people, there are mothers with little kids sleeping in their cars, and I am believing that someday we'll have an old hotel and be able to convert that into a place where we can take truly needy people off the streets and give them a foundation to get back to health and life. So we're just going to take it up from here. And if that's your heart, we, we want to talk to you more and more about it. Let's believe together for that. But they had a problem. And, it, and, and so it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. What the, the leaders were realizing is, but we've still got to disciple people and we've still got to lead people and we've still got to train people, but we've got so many needs that we are just totally spent. Can I just tell you that that's how this church can be. And so they had a problem, and so they said, let's do something about it. Oh, guys, I love when the church sees a problem, and then they said, so let's do something. Let's actually do something. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's, let's do something about it. And so they said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. This is, this is very different than how the apostles were chosen, like where Jesus came and called and said, you come, or even when they needed to replace the, the apostles after Judas died, and so then the apostles chose someone. On this one, they say, no, hey, brothers and sisters, like, hey, all of you, why don't you choose some people that you think would be good at this? So they went, they went to the church and said, why don't you choose some people? Now, there's some qualifications. Don't just choose the most popular. Don't just choose the person that you think is the prettiest. They said they need to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Okay, they need to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And so this chapter, this text, is about the appointing of deacons. The appointing of deacons. The, the word in the Greek is diakonos. And here is the, the definition of it. One who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, attendant, a minister, the servant of a king. Can I tell you, a deacon is a servant of King Jesus. A deacon, one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, so it's assigned by the church, cares for the poor, and has charge and, and distributes the money collected for their use, a waiter, one who serves food and drink. Okay? So th this, is, this is what this person was. And then Paul will later go on and say, okay, not just full of the spirit and wisdom, but let's give them some more qualities. These are the kind of people you should look at to put into this serving role. 1 Timothy 3. Let's look there. 1 Timothy 3. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith, with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons in the same way. The women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who serve well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, I want to point out two things. First of all, it's men and women. It says the women are supposed to be worthy of respect. Here, here's further proof of that, Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, 
of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord. So these are men and women. And then let's put up the slide with these qualities. I just kind of gave you a, a, a Robert version of these different qualities of a deacon. They're worthy of respect, sincere. Don't drink too much. Don't make money in inappropriate ways. Really live out the Bible. They're time-tested. The women are respected. They don't hurt people with their words. They're temperate, not emotionally volatile. They're trustworthy, faithful in marriage if married, a good parent if they have children, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. I love this. Now, a confession. Here's my confession. Here's the reason why we're just talking about this 11 years into the church. Here's why we haven't had deacons. It's because I've had this concern. I, I could even call it a fear. And, and it's this. We so believe in the biblical precedent of everyone serving that I always had this concern is if we put deacons in place, some people will say, well, they're the servants. They should do all the work. They're the special ones. So I don't need to do anything. Okay. That is not a good thought process, right? That, that's not a biblical thought. And so I started thinking about it, you know, um, because I started thinking, you know, we can have the same thought with pastors. If we have pastors in the church, they're going to do all the ministry. And, but we've always had pastors. Why? Well, Ephesians 4 explains it this way. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. See, pastors are actually supposed to equip all of you for the works of service. And listen to this. It says this, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we become mature when we all start serving. We become mature when we all start serving. So here's the deal. When we appoint deacons, we're looking at people and say, these people actually have the Romans 12 gift of serving. They have the, the, the gift of helps. But to think, you know, I don't have the gift of serving, which I don't, by the way. Um, so I'm not going to serve. That's ridiculous. Okay, that's, that's like me and Steph, my wife, and our four kids being around the table eating dinner, which everyone gets to do in my house. We all get to eat. We feed, it's amazing. We feed our kids. But at the end of dinner, imagine this. Imagine if I just sat there and I said, um, you know, someone else should uh, clean the table and wash the dishes because my gift is more evangelistic and apostolic. And so someone with the gift of helps, would you please get up and clean the table? And my wife would say, guess who's not sleeping in my bed tonight? Now, she wouldn't say that. She's incredibly forgiving, but she would tell me some biblical truths. <laughs> A healthy member of the family serves even if you don't have the gift of service. So here's what I'm trusting. There's a divine order in Scripture. And just as you have an elders or overseers over a church, you have deacons with the gift of service to help. So guys, we're going to live out the Bible right now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out a piece of paper, take out your phone, and I want you to look at this list. And I want you to just think, who matches this list? Who matches this list in our church? 
And, and, and don't just go to, some, some of you grew up in church, so you're immediately just thinking of, of men over 50 with gray hair that drive golf carts. That is, that is not, Kendall said that sounds fun. We'll get you a golf cart in the new building. Um, we're talking about every age. Make sure you're thinking of, of men and women. You're thinking of all different backgrounds of different ages. Not, not like toddlers. They've got to actually be able to get to the church. But think of that. And write, would you just take a minute? I'm, I'm really asking you. Let's, let's be the church for a minute. Would you write down? Write down on your phone or write, grab, grab the pen in front of you and the paper. This is, this is us actually doing the church, not just being hearers only, but doers. If, if you're a guest with this, you just have to excuse us for a minute as we do some, some family business. But who comes to mind? And don't say someone on staff. Like, don't say, well, Jason Weatherett. No, he's a, an actual pastor. Don't, I'm talking about people who are not paid by this church. If you don't know who that is, you can get on our website and look who our staff is. Don't say the staff. Who are, who are people that live out these qualities? I'm going to provide some mood music while you do that. Give me gas for my four. Keep me talking. <laughs> All right. Now, here's what I, I want you to do. Hopefully, you wrote down some names. Now, we're actually going to do the Bible. Um, would you put up that little URL? I want you to, to go here, allpeopleschurch.org backslash deacons. We're going to live out the Bible. They just didn't have technology back then, so it makes it a lot easier for us. I want you to type this in right now. You take, take, it, take your phone um, and do this, because watch, watch where it's going to take us. Let's go to the next slide. So allpeoplechurch.org slash deacons. It's going to take us to a deacons page. You're going to see the qualities from 1 Timothy 3. And then it says recommend a deacon. And so right now, I'm, we're empowering you to recommend a deacon. Okay, so you're going to go to this sheet. You're going to put in the next slide. You're going to put in your name. You're, you're not recommending yourself, by the way. This is just tracking on who's recommending. Your name, your email address, your phone. And then the next page is going to be this. It's going to show you what are deacons going to do. Now, some people, if, some people grew up in some churches where deacons actually were a governing body and they had all the power. So it's actually a bad word. Like there's a basketball team called the Demon Deacons. <laughs> we do not have demon deacons here. We cast out demons, right? So... Um, so what are they going to do? They're going to help with benevolence. So people, when they have needs and coming to the church as a, uh, as a place for food or clothing, they're going to help with visitations for pastoral care. There are so many people in this church, we can't keep up with visiting every person that goes in the hospital for different, different things or they're homebound. But this is the body of Christ, the priesthood of a believer. They're going to represent the church, helping with facilities, helping with administration, helping with these different specialty groups like single mothers, elderly, refugees, military families. These are what these people are going to do. So go to the next page. Here's the quality. So make sure that this isn't just a cool person, but that they're a person that lives out these biblical qualities. So do this prayerfully. Let's go to the next one. And what you're going to do is just in this box, and people have been doing this in the last three services, just send us people. Just send us people. From the, from the, 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 the sincerity of your heart, who are someone that you think would be good? They can, they can be anyone in this church. And then what we're going to do is we as the, the pastoral team will gather these and we'll pray about them because remember it says that they need to be tested. And so then we're going to put them through a test. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to pray about them, and then in the month, we're going to give you a couple weeks. 
I'm hoping that people are sending this in now, but I know some of you aren't super fast processors. You're like, I want to take time. I want to meditate. That's great. Uh, do that. Send them in for the next couple of weeks. And in the end of next month, we're going to actually lay hands on people. We're going to ask them first if they want to be. Okay. We're not going to surprise. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to work. Uh, we're going to ask them to, to have a commitment for a, a, a certain period of time. Isn't that awesome? Isn't this awesome? Come on, we're doing, we're doing the Bible, and what we trust is, is we align the church with divine order, that we have divine blessing. And, and here's what I, so here's what I believe. I believe that you're not going to go, well, now we have deacons. <sighs> I don't need to do anything, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to sit back. Two, two weeks ago, I was playing basketball with my boys. It was the day after I finished my sabbatical. We were at the YMCA. I'm with Hudson, 14, Joshua, 12, and I was showing them who the man was. And the problem is at 43, I can't do the same things I could do at 14. And so I, we're playing 21, right? It's all three of us against each other. And my son, Joshua, is scrappy. He is fast. He is scrappy. But I'm like, no way. I'm getting that ball, right? So I throw my weight at him, which is twice as much weight. But I just move like this. Like, I move this far. And poof, my, my calf muscle just pops. Right. Someone said, nice. You are weird. Uh, <laughs> and I just fall to the ground. I'm like, ah, right? And, and I am out. I cannot, I can't run anymore. I can't even walk anymore. This is the day after my sabbatical. I, I, I you know, all you sweet people who've been praying, I just pray that Robert just gets refreshed and built up. I show up my first day back to the office on crutches. I'm like, eh, eh. You know, they're like, how was your sabbatical? I'm like, oh, so good. It feels so great, right? I've, i Pull my calf muscle. Praise God, it wasn't torn. But I show up to youth camp, the first thing I'm doing, on crutches. Right? Not, those two things don't go well together, youth camp and crutches. And so I'm so bummed because not only can I not run, I can't walk. I can't move forward. You don't think about your calf muscle in life until it stops working. And then you can't move forward. In America, we have such a celebrity culture. Have you noticed that? Like, we love celebrities. Someone has a crazy gift, and we just flock to them. I think about pop singers. They can sing, and we just go crazy. We will spend so much money. We will follow them on Instagram. We flock to them. I will never forget the first time I watched a, a video of Michael Jackson singing, and people that just throngs of people pushing forward and even people fainting and screaming. And you're thinking like, do you not know that this guy has a pretty messed up life? And I'm not trying to denigrate him. I'm just trying to make a point that someone can have a gift and then we just, we glorify them and we just lift them up. And it's all about that one gift. And I'm thinking like, we get so into that one singing gift, but what about plumbers? No, I am, I am serious. These people, these people, we should lift up. They remove poop from our lives. I don't know if you've ever had a toilet back up in your house. It stinks, right? And so a plumber comes in, and they are like a magician. 
They're like an angel from above. They, they descend and they, they whip out their tools, right? And, they're, and they, they, they remove the poop from your life. And yet, when a famous singer who's got a messed up life is going on the street, people are running after them, following. I tell you, when you see the Roro Rooter truck driving down the street, carrying that plumber, they should have paparazzi following them, right? We should be getting their autographs. Those guys are amazing. We do the same in the church. In the American church, we can have this celebrity culture. You could sing. You can preach, then everyone else just comes and they just sit and they watch. And you know what it makes the church? It makes the church like a show instead of an army. My calf stopped working and I couldn't move forward. I could no longer run. I love this scripture. I love this scripture in the book of Ephesians. It says, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The body is not just a preacher. The body is not just a singer. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be a horror movie. Where would the sense of hearing be? I didn't say that. I just, (laughs) my mind kind of. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them. Say every one of them. them. Who is one of them? Sweet, one-third of you. That's awesome. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not making sense up here. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. When we just exalt one gift and we say, but I'm not... Stephen, or I'm not Lisa, and I can't sing like them, or I'm not Robert, and I can't preach like that. So you know what? I guess my job is to just come and sit and listen. We make the church into a cruise ship instead of a battleship. What do you do on a cruise? You go and sit and relax and eat a lot and eat too much and then go to a show, and then lay out in the sun, right? And the goal, right, is just relax, right? What's the goal of a battleship? Every person on mission to advance on the mission that they've been given. The church is to be a battleship, not a cruise liner, and you have a part to play, and so you might not actually get recommended for a deacon. I'll tell you what, if I wasn't the pastor, I wouldn't be get, get recommended as a deacon, but you know what? I have a part to play. You have a part to play. And when we all start playing, then the body starts growing up into maturity. I, after years of moving around the city. We moved 12 times. It was crazy. We finally bought a house, and it has a big piece of property. 
and, and it's like over an acre, and it wasn't ever landscaped, so it's so much work, so many weeds, so much trimming and cutting and weed whacking, and, and all the time, people drive by and leave their business cards to, to do my lawn, right? And, and they give me the cheapest prices ever, and I always think like, oh, that would be so great, but I have four kids. No, it's not what you're thinking. I'm not like, <laughs> slave labor. No, that's, that's, that's not what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is this. Just as it's right for my kids to sit at the table and get to eat and be blessed to live in this house, it's right for them to take responsibility for the home and to learn to serve. Because if they serve and if they take responsibility, that always leads to maturity responsibility leads to maturity. And I watch families where the kids aren't given responsibility and those kids end up living in their garage as adults playing Fortnite all day long. And that's not what I want for my kids. You know, I think if we could see the American church, like, you know, we'd look and we could see in the spirit, we would actually see all these people, they look so great, but in the spirit, they're like grown up adults living in garages, playing Fortnite at 3 a.m. And that's not why Jesus died. Jesus died for a mature, spotless, beautiful, strong hungry, humble, serving bride that wants to partner with him to advance the kingdom of God in his generation. Amen? So when we do that, we'll have this verse. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Will you stand up with me? Can I just say one last very pastoral note? Some of you are like, but pastor, I barely made it in here today. You don't understand how hurting I am. Going through divorce, my finances are obliterated. Maybe you're in an addiction or you're in a depression. You're in tremendous pain and you're saying, so you're just telling me, get off my rear and go work? Actually, I'm not. Sometimes we're like my calf was two weeks ago, where we're hurt. And you know what I had to do? I had to just sit and prop it up and give it rest and let it heal. Can I just tell you, if you came in in a place of hurting, pain, depression, despair, there's grace for you. Come and receive the presence of God. Come and receive his word, receive the love of Christian community. And then for the rest of you, you need to get off your rear and get to work and take responsibility and let Jesus make you into a mature believer. And you know what? You're actually going to find the fullness of life when you start co-laboring with his wonderful plans for this house and for the kingdom of God in your generation. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we just want to be a people that respond to your word. If, you, if today you just say, Lord, I, just use me how you want. Just open your hands to the Lord. This is a sign of surrender, is a sign of being willing to receive the word and to partner in the way he would have you. Lord, here we are as your children. God, would you use us? God, I'm praying that people would be able to take their next step in serving. God, I'm, I'm praying that you'd give us grace as we're going to, to, to recommend some of these super servants as 
as deacons, Lord. But most of all, we just say we're in it for you, Jesus. We want to be a New Testament church. We want to be a biblical church that blesses your heart. And we believe that as we draw near to you, you're going to draw near to us.